fact that we've outlawed it doesn't stop criminals from getting it. It's on yeah. every high school campus in Utah. <laughs> you can I, give me five minutes, I could f- score some weed, right? right. Like it's everywhere. <laughs> and and so criminals, right? People who are willing to break the law are using it, yeah. notwithstanding the law. Who's being denied? The upstanding, law-abiding uh, people, and in this case, patients who don't want to risk being thrown in jail when they're, you know, trying to provide for their family and they're suffering from cancer or MS or whatever. The problem is the law has an imbalance right now that harms uh, the innocent people. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. This November, Utahns are voting on an initiative to legalize medical marijuana. I live in Salt Lake City, and I wanted to become informed on this super controversial issue before I voted on it myself. So I set out to interview the top dogs for the coalitions both for and against this medical marijuana initiative known as Proposition 2. Today on the show, we'll first be hearing from Connor Boyack, who's over the institute that drafted Proposition 2, and then we'll talk to Jim Jardine, part of the coalition against Proposition 2. But let me give you a little heads up. There's a little plot twist along the way that pretty much turns this entire issue on its head. You'll see what I mean when we get there. But first, let's talk to Connor Boyack, the president of the Libertas Institute, which is a Utah think tank which spearheaded the drafting of Proposition 2. Connor Boyack, welcome to Ununinformed. Thanks for having me. Now, let's talk about what Proposition 2 actually does for people who need medical marijuana. So it's important to point out that this isn't recreational. Yeah, Recreational programs are ones where you can walk in, show your ID to show you're over 18 or 21, and buy whatever you want. That's recreational. This is right. not that. You have to get a physician's recommendation. It can't be a prescription because uh, because it's federally illegal, physicians are unable to prescribe. The right. DEA does not allow them to prescribe a Schedule One substance. So doctors can recommend it, just like they might recommend you know, yoga or, oh, okay. or massage right. therapy. So it's just the doctor's free speech of saying, hey, I, you, know, you might want to consider you know, acupuncture. Right. They're recommending it. And so the state law is set up to say, well, if a doctor does indeed recommend yeah. cannabis, um, then the Department of Health will give you a card. And with that card, you can go into one of very few dispensaries. At most, there will probably be a dozen statewide. Okay. So it's not like it'll be on every corner by any means. Uh, there will be probably fewer than half dispensaries than there are uh, state liquor stores, which nobody even sees or knows where they are. Right. <laughs> right. And so uh, there won't be that many. But you go in, you show your card and... And that will allow you to uh, gain access to a wide range of products. Now, yeah. the critics will say, well, we want it to be dosed. You know, if this right. is medicine, we need to dose it like medicine. Well, the problem is because of decades of blocking medical research, uh, doctors lack the knowledge and, and we lack the science to really be able to articulate that, okay, Sean, I know you have condition X and I know you're an adult male and this is your age and your weight and everything else. And so I think based on my, you know, knowledge and the research that if you take a cannabis, you know, uh, oil pill that has, you know, five milligrams of this twice a day, that's going to be what, like, we don't have that knowledge. Right. And so as, uh, as sad as it is, patients basically have to do trial and error and figure out what works and do micro dosing to say, okay, let's, let's start small and let's see what it does. And then if we need to 
to try a different strain, a different combination of cannabinoids, or yeah. if we need to increase that a little bit, let's just kind of go incrementally and see what happens. And, and that's the environment that we're in where at the end of the day, Proposition 2 is not this like scientifically researched thing where we know all that information. We don't, and that's a travesty. Yeah. What Proposition 2 is, it's a criminal justice reform. It's saying like, look, there are patients who need this, and there are physicians who want to you know, support and work with their, their patients. Right. So let's just not throw them in jail. How about that? Right. Let's, <laughs> let's, starters, yeah. let, let's change the law and say police and prosecutors leave these, this narrow group of people, just leave them alone. That's all proposition two is saying. I think what both sides agree on is that, Hey, this, this would be nice if we took this off of schedule one, schedule one drugs. I mean, I, I understand, you know, all these illegal drugs are there. If we get off to schedule one, we can actually do some research so I reached out on Facebook, and a lot of people voiced this concern. Uh, we had Steph Flinders that said, how do we go about taking cannabis off Schedule 1? Um, and, and, and also, let me just add to, to that, um, Governor Gary Herbert, who we know is opposed to mm-hmm. this initiative, um, I, just have a, I have his quote. Um, that he's, I want uh, your response to this. He sure. says, I'd like to see the federal government get out of the way. We ought to call upon our congressional delegation to take it off Schedule 1 list. Let's do the studies. Let's do the clinical trials. It's time for the truth scientifically so that this can be prescribed by a doctor, distributed by pharmacists, so people can know what they're getting in their compounds. So how do you, how do you respond to people that say taking off the Schedule 1 list is the answer? Um, my response is I don't disagree. Yeah, let's do that. But let's recognize where we're at. People have been trying to get that change for decades. There's a very well-funded pro-marijuana legalization lobby that's very good at what they do. And yet they've been unsuccessful. Right. And so my response is maybe that'll be changed in the year like 2047. (laughs) That's what I'm wondering. And it doesn't seem like it's right around the corner. Now, now we had somebody else on, on Facebook and a lot of people have this concern. Matt Lyons said, I'd like to hear your take on the arguments by opposition, like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That, so they, they, of course, joined the coalition mm-hmm. with the uh, Utah Medical Association opposing this bill. Um, let me read part of the, the church church's statement, and we could respond to that. So, so they say that this initiative takes it too far, creating a serious threat to health and public safety, especially for our youth and young adults. By making marijuana generally available with few controls, the church joins a coalition of medical experts, public officials, and community stakeholders in calling for a safe and compassionate approach to providing medical marijuana to those in need. Mm -hmm. The church does not object to the medical use of marijuana if doctor prescribed in dosage form through a licensed pharmacy. Okay, so... How do, how do you respond to that? Well, of course, the, the conditions that they imposed there in that statement, as we just uh, talked about, are not happening. Doctors can't prescribe it. It can't be in pharmacies. We don't have dosage form. You know, It's uh, illegal. <laughs> and you know, the things they want are, are not allowed. And so to say, well, we support medical cannabis as long as we do it the way that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you know, that's not happening. Now, I will give credit. The church, just a week later, has already been publicly walking that back. They did an interview uh, on Doug Fabrizio's oh, show. I listened to that. Yeah, yeah and, and so they said, well, that was just one idea. 
We're, we're not hung up on that idea. We're open to other ideas. Or we could compromise or on that. Or we could that. compromise, yeah. Which is, which is great news for, for you. Yeah, for no, it, yeah. It's, it's great news to hear because at the initial press conference where they read that statement that, that you just read, the takeaway from everyone was like, well, oh, they're, they're demanding something that's impossible. And for the Mormons among us, of which I myself am one, it's, yeah. oh, well, the, this must come from the prophet, therefore from God. So God wants it in pharmacies. And, and the fact that the church one week later has already walked that back shows that this is just a, you know, an organization's kind of interest, their best thought, which they clearly with the backlash saw, they couldn't kind of hold fast to that opinion. So they've already yeah. walked it back a little bit. So I think it does show that there is room for compromise and that yeah. they do recognize that they can't get that far. And again, maybe in a decade or two, maybe we'll get there. But right, right now, that's not possible. And, and to your question, uh, the, the church, in defense of their position, uh, including on the Doug Fabrizio uh, interview, continues to cite misleading information from Colorado to uh, base their opinion on. They'll never talk about the 20-plus other states that have functioning medical programs where the sky hasn't fallen. Yeah. They always talk about Colorado, which, of course, is a recreational state. There's right. a totally different culture there. Um, and they'll say, well, look, this this bad thing happened in Colorado, so we're concerned about it for Utah. For example, um, in the LDS Church's most recent public statement, they, um, in defense of this position you read, they will say, well, in Colorado, there was a, a substantial increase in, quote, marijuana-related hospitaliz- hospitalizations, yeah. and also a substantial increase in marijuana-related uh, traffic, fa- uh, you know, vehicle fatalities. Right. Um, Okay, why why are they saying that? What is that about? If you look at the data, if you understand, and, and even look at what researchers are saying about uh, that data, that data does not prove anything other than the fact that the people who happen to be hospitalized or the people who happen to die in the car accident sometime within the past month had used cannabis. When you ingest cannabis, the metabolite, the, the little lingering component that your body will metabolize or break down, stays in your body for up to a month even when you don't have the effects of thc you're not you're not impaired yeah you're you're not inebriated no effect at you at all but that metabolite is just hanging out in the fatty tissue of your body and so let's say sean that you know you uh you're out you know with a saw and you saw your fingers off run into the er they do a blood draw they're going to put you in surgery and fix you up you are going to get reported as a marijuana related uh hospitalization if let's say three weeks prior you happen to uh you know, take a capsule of cannabis oil. Yeah. And and that has nothing to do with the fact that you sawed your fingers off, but you're now going to get reported. So the fact that Colorado uh, changed their law and allowed for more people to legally use cannabis, that of course means that a higher percentage of people who end up in the hospital or a higher percentage of people who get a tra- uh, in a traffic accident or death are going to have had marijuana in their blood within the past month. That has no bearing on the fact that there are more marijuana-caused hospitalizations or marijuana-caused traffic fatalities. So they're pointing to these totally bogus statistics to back up their prohibitionist stance to resist Proposition 2. And they say, well, we don't like Proposition 2 because look at what happened in Colorado, to which we say, the data you're pointing to in Colorado is meaningless. Let's not (laughs) use that as the basis of opposing Proposition 2 here. That's the concern we have. Yeah. So let's let's make sure I I know how this works. So let's walk walk through a scenario, kind of like you did already. So... I want, let's say I want to get medical marijuana. Um, I have chronic back pain. I've been going to my chiropractor for months and there's been no, things have not gone better. So say this initiative gets passed Mm -hmm. and I start having a conversation with my chiropractor about 
medical marijuana is an option. So what happens from here? How does what happens from here for me to to actually get that medical so marijuana? So under proposition 2, you and your uh, so if it's chronic pain, your physician would have to make a determination that you can benefit from cannabis and that you are at risk of uh, some sort of like overdose or problem with opiates, right? So we're not okay. saying that the first uh, response should be cannabis, but like, hey, look, I'm concerned that uh, you kind of have, not you, let's use a person's different example, like, you know, person X, you have uh, an addictive personality or you have this history of, you know, addiction or... Or some people say can't, or certain opiates don't even do anything for Correct, them. absolutely. Some people are non-responsive. So that physician would make a determination in their qualified medical, uh, uh, with their background, um, that you would benefit from cannabis. Together in that physician's office, you guys would fill out a a website provided by the Department of Health. Okay. Basically an online application. And that yeah. doctor would say, log in and say, here I am. Here's my patient, date of birth, name, blah, blah, blah. And that information is sent to the Department of Health, which would then print up a card within the next few weeks and send you a card. And then with that card, you could get into the dispensary. Now, that card would be valid under Proposition 2 for a maximum of six months. Um, however, a physician can allow it for whatever amount of time they want. Uh, so... Uh, many physicians right now in prescribing opioids, they might say, look, I'm only going to give you a prescription of one week. Then I want you to come back in. Let's talk about how you're doing. See if we need to change the which opioid it is or change the amount. So similarly, a physician could say, look, I, I think you can benefit from, from cannabis, but I know it's kind of the wild, wild west, right? So how about here's a recommendation for one week. You know, go figure something out. Come back. Let's talk about what you used. And I might have recommendations for what you can change. So a physician uh, can issue that recommendation for any amount of time up to six months. Let's say you have chronic pain and it's been going on for years. Um, after a few visits, that physician might say, look, it's clearly helping you. The opioids weren't. I don't need to see you again for six months. Just keep doing what you're doing because it's clearly working. And then you can have an up to six-month recommendation at that time. And so I've got that card. I go to the dispenser. What, what's that going to look like? I, I actually can't really imagine that. So um, it's it's very helpful to you know look online at, at some of the a lot of people have this this image in their mind that dispensaries are going to have like reggae playing in the background and you know people in dreads behind the counter and everyone's just kind of high and happy right well, that's uh, yeah. disappointing if it's not uh, well it is Utah so you know if you <laughs> want that go to Louisiana or something I don't know you got it um, no look most of these dispensaries I've been in a lot in other states as I've kind of done research on this over the years and. Um, they they are trying to closely approximate uh, a pharmacy, basically, right? They okay. want a, a clean, regulated environment. They want it to be safe and and you know uh, and, and and all of that stuff. They they recognize that they're selling something that's controversial and yeah. federally illegal. And so most dispensaries are going to do this like uh, on the up and up, right? And have a very kind of clean uh, place, safe place to to get the stuff. So basically, if you go to a, a dispensary, you'll you're going to see like, okay, well here's their oils. And yeah. different types of oils, different uh, percentages of cannabinoids in them. Okay, here's their edibles, right? And so here's yeah. a, a cookie or here's a, you know, uh, whatever. Brownie, yeah. A brownie, right? The traditional uh, <laughs> marijuana edible. Uh, here's the topicals, you know, here's the, I think I said the oils. Here's the concentrates that you can vape under Proposition 2. So okay. basically you put a, a little uh, bit of that into a vape pen or device and, and then you can heat it up. Yeah, and then the the vapor from so it's not combusting it like smoking. You're just warming the 
the concentrate and then the the um, you're you're ingesting that you're aspirating it to immediately get it into your blood circulation. And so with an edible, it's a delayed reaction, right? It has to pass yeah. through your liver, and it takes a while. If you're vaping it, it's it's instant, near instantaneous. So basically, you have all these options to choose from. And opponents, of course, don't like that. They want a doctor to prescribe a very specific thing and say, Sean, I want you to go try, you know, an oil with two milligrams, milligrams of THC, yeah. right? And the physicians just lack that knowledge to be able to do that. Maybe someday we'll get there. Yeah. But right now, it's very much like you go figure it out, and then come back and let's talk about it. Let's tell me what you used. Let's see if I have a recommendation for what you should try differently. Um, and uh, and that's kind of what it is at this point. Got it. And and, and just, just to make it clear, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize this. You can't, you can vape it, but you can't smoke it under this proposition, right? That's correct. Okay. Now, I f- have a few other questions on Facebook, and maybe this can kind of be just lightning round answers because a lot of them are, are, are simple. Sure. So here we go. Tiana Rothwell on Facebook says, does the initiative fund or discuss studies to find out more about medical marijuana use? The uh, initiative allows for studies, allows the data uh, of patients to be used for studies, but it does not fund studies. It does not commission studies. Got it. Becky Burr asks, is, is the main purpose of this initiative about tax revenue going to Utah instead of other states? I know people have talked about that, but... Uh, yeah, so in recreational programs, typically you'll see heavy taxation to then fund schools and things like that. Um, the intent of Proposition 2 is not to uh, make t- uh, medical patients fund other government programs yeah. through heavy taxation, nor is it to make taxpayers subsidize uh, the medical patients. Proposition 2 is intended to be cost neutral so that the businesses, the dispensaries, the grows and so forth, and the patients through their permits and fees pay for the cost of regulation. So basically only those involved in the program will be responsible for funding that program. Okay, one more from Facebook. What are the institutional controls in place, either in the proposition or current policy, to minimize substance abuse analogous to the prescription drug abuse that has become such an issue in Utah. Such an issue, right? 24, on average, people dying from opioid uh, overdoses every single month. Huge problem. Uh, no one has ever died from cannabis overdosing. Uh, you know, thousands of years, heavy cannabis use around the world. There's no recorded deaths at all. So we're not going to have any overdoses, yeah. uh, which is great. And then the addiction profile. When you look at the scientifically researched addiction profile of cannabis, it's basically close to Diet Coke. Um, it's, it's not like this is horribly so addictive. So it's pretty bad, right? <laughs> this is Utah, right? Maybe we're more susceptible to that addiction than, than other people. Um, so the addiction profile is low. And then the whole like, well, but it's a gateway to other drugs. That's also been debunked, right? Yeah. If anything, uh, cannabis is a gateway out. And why do I say that? The Journal of the American Medical Association four years ago published a study uh, of states. Uh, it was an analysis, a scientific analysis of states that had legalized medical marijuana based on their opiate overdoses. So the, the physicians were looking, or the researchers were looking at, let's look at these states that now have medical cannabis programs, and then before and after that they enacted that law, what was the opiate overdose uh, like? What they found was that in states that legalized medical cannabis, the opioid overdose rate went down by 25%. Wow. If that were to hold true in Utah with about 24 deaths a month, six lives would be saved every single month. That is huge. So if anything, it's not that it's like creating this whole apocalypse of, you know, chemical dependency and, and addiction and overdose. If anything, it's helping to do quite the opposite. Yeah. I guess to wrap this all up, I guess my final question is this. Why should my listeners, the ones that are constituents in Utah, vote yes on Proposition 2? 
Um, at the end of the day, patients should not be treated as criminals. Uh, I, I look at it much like uh, gun control, right? A lot of people use guns uh, in self-defense and for uh, hunting or you know beneficial purposes. Um, to outright ban guns just because some bad people use them denies others using them beneficially, right? Like a single mom living in a sketchy neighborhood where you know she might get sexually abused and she needs to you know be able to defend herself. I think it's the same thing with cannabis. The fact that we've outlawed it doesn't stop criminals from getting it. It's on yeah. every high school campus in Utah. You can I, give me five minutes, I could f- score some weed, right? right. Like it's everywhere. <laughs> um, and and so criminals, right? People who are willing to break the law are using it, yeah. notwithstanding the law. Who's being denied? The upstanding, law-abiding uh, people, and in this case, patients who don't want to risk being thrown in jail when they're, you know, trying to provide for their family and they're suffering from cancer or MS or whatever. So we're trying to fix the law to say, look, it's not that marijuana is this like utopian, amazing thing. It can be abused. It can be wrongly used. There's no disputing that at all. The problem is the law has an imbalance right now that harms uh, the innocent people, that harms the patients. And we're just trying to fix that imbalance so that patients and their physicians can get access. Connor Boyack is the president of the Libertas Institute. Connor, thanks for joining us on this conversation. Thank you for having me. That was my interview with Connor Boyack covering why people should vote yes on Proposition 2. I then set out to get a voice from the other side of the issue. I set up an interview with Jim Jardine, who is on the executive committee of Drug Safe Utah, the coalition opposing Proposition 2. But on the day this interview took place, something unexpected happened. A huge plot twist that turns this entire Proposition 2 debate on its head. As I met with Jim Jardine in his office in downtown Salt Lake City preparing for the interview, he said, Now, you heard the big news this morning, right? I said, No, I just came here from work. Now, this big issue is to do with the Proposition 2 campaign. And rather than spending all my time on the questions I prepared for the interview, we talked about the breaking news that totally changed everything. You'll see what I mean. I just wanted to give you a heads up because if I seemed in the interview that I had a loss of words from having an unforeseen plot twist in this issue, it's because I did. Anyway, here's our interview. Joining me is Jim Jardine, who's a lawyer here in Salt Lake City and is on the executive committee for Drug Safe Utah. Jim Jardine, welcome to Ununinformed. Thank you. It's nice to be here with you, Sean. So first of all, just tell us about Drug Safe Utah. Who are they and what are they all about? So Drug Safe Utah is a coalition of groups and individuals who are opposed to Prop 2, uh, we issued actually had an announcement in August where we issued a, jo- a statement on behalf of the coalition urging Utahns to vote against Prop 2 is going too far. But uh, in our statement, we said that we think there is a place for medicinal marijuana if properly controlled, scientifically supported, and protecting against the unintended consequences and the excesses that we've seen in other places like Colorado or California. So I will give you a a list of some of the groups that are members of the coalition. It includes the Utah Medical Association, the association with all representing physicians in Utah, Utah Hospital Association, the Utah Sheriff's Association, the Utah PTA, the Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce, uh, and faith groups that include the Islamic Society, uh, the Episcopal uh, 
Bishop of Utah and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And most importantly, we have patients who are part of uh, our coalition who at one point supported have supported in the past medicinal marijuana in Utah, but have agreed with us that Prop 2 goes too far. Wow. So it's my understanding, and we were just talking right before this, that there's been a big development just here today with this coalition. What? Let's just jump right into that. What, what, what happened? I will give you, this will be a lengthy explanation, so please feel free to draw, uh, jump in. All right, sure. Uh, there was a press conference held at the state capitol with the governor, the president of the Senate, the Speaker of the House, uh, and representatives of both the proponents and the opponents yeah. to announce that they've reached an agreement on a compromise bill. The governor said that he would uh, call a special session of the legislature after the election, however the vote comes out, to arrive at a fix. So this agreement, which has included, uh, has spent been hours, really weeks in the in the development, has involved D.J. Shantz and Connor Boyack from the proponent group, yeah. Michelle McComber of the Utah Medical Association, Marty Stevens of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and have worked through, they said, over 40 hours of meetings to reach a compromise solution. And, the, and I'll describe what the outcome was and uh, what, what are the changes. Sure. But the, the agreement was that if Proposition 2 passes, this group has agreed that they'll fix it to, to come to what they've agreed to generally. And if it fails, the parties have agreed that they'll then have a new bill to get to the same place. Okay. So um, it really, I mean, we're still, the groups that support Prop 2 are going to say still vote for it. The groups who oppose it will say vote against it. But what we really have in front of us is a blueprint compromise, which is where we're going to end up anyway. And while not every detail has been worked out because it's been worked out in private, almost, it, there's broad agreement on it. And the, the legislature is going to hold hearings, public hearings before the election, yeah. committee hearings so people can work out any of the details that they have concerns on it but the bill will be made public and soon and people will know about it before the vote ever happens really yeah so that's so it really is a game changer and it's really there's some remarkable things in the bill i said that our group has been opposed to prop 2 before it goes because it goes too far and most of the things we are concerned about have been are corrected in this proposed compromise bill, and I'm glad to go through those if you'd oh, like. Yeah, to. great. This, this, I'm, I'm, I'm great that I'm, I'm happy that I'm right on the edge of breaking news here. <laughs> so, one of our big, our big issues have been that the Prop Two doesn't have uh, marijuana in me- medicinal form, and yeah. it can be prescribed by people beyond doctors who could. It include podiatrists, dentists. Eye doctors, I've heard this. That's yeah. right. And they don't have to have any specialization in the area they're prescribing. So what the new proposed compromise bill has is that it requires uh, medis- medical marijuana to be in med- a medicinal form. So it has to be a tablet, a capsule, concentrated oil, a liquid suspension, topical preparation, uh, a gelatin-based cube, no whole plant marijuana, no gummies, edibles, chewables. It has to be, and then if you think about it, 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 it has to be in a single dosage form with a specific and consistent cannabinoid content. So it'll be like medicine, really? which is what the, was not in Prop 2, Prop 2 currently. And to, 
uh, and there are other very technical ways in which it can be given. But it, you, under Prop 2, you could go into one of their dispensaries. We called them pot shops, and it would look just like a, a regular pot shop where you could buy anything off the shelf, right, yeah. irrespective of what your condition was. And so we've they've working with the Utah Medical Association. They've narrowed the ill qualifying illnesses, and uh, and then only doctors or DOs can prescribe or recommend. Okay, so that, it's that narrowed that. And then a huge other concern we had was the pot shop issue. Right, and that's now gone, and it's replaced by the agreement right now is one central field dispensary with pickup availability at every county health department in the state. So you would, the prescription would go into this central field uh, dispensary run by the state, and if you live in San Juan County, then it would be sent to the county health office in San Juan County where you could pick it up my, in, in yeah. medicinal form. And my understanding, if you're out in the boonies before, you could grow your own. Yeah, yeah that's, that's gone. gone. <laughs> okay. Secondly... And this dealt with the problem that a regular pharmacy cannot sell uh, cannabis-based extracts or medicine because of federal law. Right, yeah, Schedule 1 so, drug. So the people involved have done a research of what's going on in other states, and we think we've got models from Connecticut and Pennsylvania. And so the bill will allow up to five medical cannabis pharmacies located geographically throughout the state, and they would... They could be privately owned but state-regulated, but they would be a pharmacy. So they would only sell it in medical form. It would be like a specialty pharmacy, and there has to be a pharmacist on site. Now, under the Prop 2, it can be a pot shop, and the only requirements for the person running it and giving advice to people is they can't be a felon and they have to be 21. Okay. And so, and we recognize, uh, I understand from this compromise, that it's recognized that some pharmacists won't have training so the bill provides, the proposed compromise bill provides for training so that not only do you work with a doctor on the prescription, but when you go to one of these specialized pharmacies, you get, um, you have someone there who's been trained to know, uh, to advise you with respect to which particular medical forms and, and how they work. And there's a really, there's another interesting wrinkle, as I understand it, to this provision, and that is, the problem with going to a pharmacy is that right now marijuana is a Schedule One drug under federal law, yeah. which means there are a lot of limitations on what people can do. Right. One of them is that a regular pharmacy can't sell the products. Yeah, that's, that's what I was just about to ask. The, yeah. the, this bill provides – so these specialized pharmacies are created under state law, regulated under state law. Not federal. Not Well, they're not federal because they're specialized they pharmacies, and, and there are examples of this already in place in Connecticut and Pennsylvania. Really? So we've looked at models for other states. We've ad- apparently this group has added the following provision: if marijuana is changed by federal government from a Schedule One to a Schedule Two drug, these five specialized cannabis pharmacies would have a year to convert to being full service pharmacies, and in addition, regular pharmacies could carry this medical dosage, right. medical marijuana. So that. The two biggest concerns we had was uh, the looseness of the prescription acquisition process and the distribution in uh, in pot shops as opposed. So this really our, – our argument really was this is not medicine, the way yeah. that PARP2 works, and this comes a lot closer. Wow. So uh, let me give you some other 
example, some other things. So the grow your own provision is gone that's in Prop 2. That would be gone. The free samples that Prop 2 allowed. You could give out free samples of marijuana product to someone who came in. I actually didn't know about that one. (laughs) That's gone. Uh, Prop 2 provides that local government can't zone out uh, these pot shops or dispensaries under Prop 2. Oh, so like change residential have, zoning? Well, yeah. And, well, here's the thing. The, the Prop 2 says that you ha- they th- these dispensaries or pot shops has to be at least 300 feet from a residence or 600 feet from a park or a school. But otherwise, cities and counties couldn't zone them out of, if they meet that criteria, it preempted local zoning control. So it could right. be put, one of these could be put in your neighborhood. That's gone. Okay. So local control it. Um, there was no follow-up interaction. I mean, you ha- if you went to one of these defined physicians, which were doctors, podiatrists, optometrists, you didn't need to have any prior association with them, and there was no required follow-up. The bill, as I understand it, again, I, ha- I was not involved in its negotiation. It's just been described to me. does involve um, limited physician interaction. We've understood that law enforcement has really likes this for this reason. Under Prop 2, there would be no way for law enforcement to distinguish if they stopped you between whether you've got legal medicinal marijuana yeah. or illegal marijuana because it looks the same. Yeah. By virtue of now requiring it only to be in medicinal form, law enforcement will be able to detect what's legal and what's illegal and makes enforcement much easier. Just by looking at just, the... They can just tell where they couldn't before. Uh, under Prop 2, there was a destruction of all records of medical marijuana purchases after 60 days. Right, and that's so med- so law enforcement couldn't That was what Prop 2 says, but yeah. then how do you enforce what's medical and what's not? Right. That's out. Okay. So all of those are the changes I know about. What makes this really unique, as I understand it, is we're the only state that will have all medicinal dosage form. Be the first state to do that. We'll be the only state to eliminate the medical cannabis pharmacies, the one, the specialized pharmacies, if, right. if uh, m- marijuana is rescheduled under federal law. We're requiring licensed pharmacists at all of these specialized pharmacies. Um, it's still illegal to use. Marijuana in, rec, marijuana in public, it's a Class B misdemeanor for smoking marijuana in public. Uh, it's a Class B misdemeanor for reselling or sharing. It's a Class A misdemeanor if sold or given to a minor. And it requires training for doctors and pharmacists to prescribe. So from our perspective, this, I mean, it's not everything. I, so I, I think there are some members of our coalition that I know don't like this. They yeah. didn't want any form of marijuana in the state. I know that uh, because there is not scientific support for many, for for at least some, if not the majority of the illnesses listed to the degree that doctors want, because it's still, there hasn't been enough testing right. that a doctor can say to someone with the kind of certainty we do with most medicines, here are the benefits, here are the risks. Right. Uh, that That's still going to be a challenge, but it, the bill, the, this compromise bill requires training of both the doctors and pharmacists who are going to be prescribing marijuana so that we're – it really is an aid. Our concern was not – I mean, we're not saying and never have said that there, is, there isn't or there might not be uh, benefits from medicinal marijuana. We just felt like 
we needed to follow the science, and that wasn't being done here. This comes much closer to that. Wow. If So if we vote yes, what is the difference between whether we vote yes or no at this point? I think it just expresses your concerns about Prop 2. Yeah. But it's a little bit like World Cup soccer playing for third place. <laughs> if right. you know what I mean. I mean, people still care, but it's it's not the, it's not the, the real ball game is going to be this legislative process people should watch for when their committee hearings they should get the the bill is going to be quite comprehensive they can read it and if people think there are issues that aren't fully addressed in the bill the legislature is going to have a process to walk people through it yeah. so uh heading to a special session after the election so you know i think there are a lot of people who will say well does my vote matter we're still encouraging people to vote no because it just is an expression that it went too far. Yeah. I think the proponents will still encourage people to vote yes. But in my lifetime, I've never seen the kind of commitment that took place. The governor, President Spenett, the Speaker of the House, people on both sides of it saying we're committed to this. And I think like no other thing I've ever seen before, Utahns can have confidence that that's the process that's going to work and take place. And I was going to spend this whole podcast talking about uh, how are you going to keep fighting this uh, at this point, but it seems like something monumental just happened that that totally changes the game. <laughs> it, it, it's a complete game changer. Uh, I, I will add this, though. Let, let me tell you why I got involved and why this is important. Yeah. So I was chairman of the Board of Trustees for 10 years at the University of Utah and on the Board of Regents for eight years. So that's nearly... And, and 12 years on the board. So that's 20 years of my adult life working on educa- higher education. And I did it because I believe education is the way for social mobility, for people to improve their lives economically and, and emotionally in every other way. And I've worked as part of that to expand the opportunities for people who would find it economically difficult to reach to get higher education. We've built scholarships and Anyway, lots yeah. of different programs. One of the biggest, my biggest reason for opposing Prop 2 is because of the the clear impact it would have on adolescents. We know, we know from studies that every state that's passed medical marijuana has seen an, seen an increase in the use of adole- by adolescents of marijuana. It just, yeah. either because it destigmatizes it or because it's just more readily available or whatever. And whatever else you want to argue about, the effects of marijuana, its impact on the adolescent brain is undisputed it, it because that's the developing brain. We know from studies from, and, and this study was done in Australia, yeah. but we know that regular use by adolescents of marijuana lowers IQ up to eight points. Wow. We know that one in six adolescents who smoke marijuana regularly will become addicted. We know that it has, by studies, Regular use of marijuana by adolescents has significant adverse educational impacts, increased dropout rates, lower performance. We know that it increases uh, depression, and we know that there's increased suicide. And and I will say, statistically, it tends to hit lower economic, socioeconomic groups of young people harder. So if your goal is to to make the American dream more more available— to young people by making education more available, one of the worst things you can do is increase marijuana usage among that group. So you can argue about medical benefits for various diseases. This is the one area 
where the data is indisputable. Yeah. So I care about education. That's why the Utah PTA, among others, was against Prop 2, is that it was – we know from California and Colorado, every other state, that where you have medical marijuana passed, use usage increases. And that, to me, was a risk just not worth it, even though I knew there were people – real pain and suffering who might benefit from this, there was just a better way. And that's sort of at least my reason, and I think the reason of many people for opposing Prop 2 and still opposing it, but taking real heart that this compromise bill will be the way forward for uh, to get to the right result for those who are suffering without uh, the risks and unintended consequences that w- were clear to follow in my view. You mentioned this is a compromise. That means you're not getting everything you want and the whole coalition's not getting everything you want. So what, what are some things that, that has been less desirable for drug safe Utah in this? Well, I can't speak for the whole coalition. I think the Utah medical associations probably has some concerns about some of the illnesses that are still listed there for which there's no scientific support. Right. But then they're going to, I think they're going to be satisfied that doctors will be trained. And if people come in with those conditions, but doctors can properly advise them. Yeah, so so sounds like compromise. It's a little uncomfortable, but a lot better than what yeah, we had before. Yeah, and really it happened because even though people disagreed on some things, uh, I think the people who were leading Connor Boyack and DJ Shantz, yeah, um, they they didn't want unintended consequences either. We we were concerned right. that in the name of medical marijuana, lots of people would abuse the system and have recreational marijuana. And they agreed with us. That's not what they wanted. They really wanted to protect patients. Yeah. And once you got there, then you could begin to fix the problems and you could come up with a compromise bill that started solving the problems in prop two. So just wrapping everything up when Utah voters go to the polls and vote on this, what should be going through their mind in approaching this issue and voting on this? They should vote on the merits, how they see them. I think I've listed all the problems with Prop 2. I think that's why we've said it goes too far and should vote no. But they should also go to the polls with confidence that this bill, this compromise bill announced today, is going to be how things are going to come out so that they can feel comfortable voting no and not worried about people who might have pain and suffering getting getting relief uh, legally because the compromise bill will do that. That was Jim Jardine, a lawyer in Salt Lake City, who's on the executive board for Drug Safe Utah. Wow, it happened. A compromise. It totally threw me off guard. And I was a little bit in disbelief. Were both sides really okay with this? I decided to call up Connor Boyack one more time just to get his thoughts on the whole compromise. Here's our phone call. So, Connor, on September 4th, you were in a meeting with Utah Governor Gary Herbert and both the coalitions for and against Proposition 2. So, tell me, what went down? So, uh, we found an opportunity to come to agreement with uh, some of the opposition and find ways to add a few additional guardrails and things to Proposition 2 that would resolve their concerns and allow us to move forward. So, the benefit here is that Rather than trying to pass Prop 2 and then fight to defend it for years to come and, and watch as it gets chipped away, we can find an opportunity to resolve those concerns preemptively and then avoid all that conflict and just let patients uh, have some predictability in getting this program up and running. How do you feel about how things went down? Are, are you actually happy with the outcome? 
so at the end of the day, I think there's some silly stuff in this proposal. Obviously, in a, a negotiation like this, you don't get everything you want, and if the opposition gets some of what they want, that's you know objectionable and concerning. Uh, but the trade-off here, again, is that we avoid the war. We have some certainty in, in getting a, a decent program enacted and left alone. Um, and then we just move on and, you know, focus on other things rather than having to duke it out uh, every single year. So on par, you know, on the, the, the net total of everything, uh, I, you know, we're, we're pretty content with how things ended up. It's a workable program. Uh, it'll get patients what they need. And, and again, let's just kind of, uh, let them start getting what they need and, and be able to rest and recuperate and focus on their health rather than having to, you know, patients don't want to be activists and lobbyists. They just want to get better, and, and this uh, this agreement kind of helps facilitate that. This is a compromise, which means you probably didn't get everything you initially wanted. What aspects of this compromise were less desirable for you? You know, probably the, the biggest uh, concern or objectionable piece in this is the uh, state what's called the state central fill. It's a, a state uh, dispensary, basically, uh, that's government-owned. And, uh, you know, we don't think this is even going to work. We think it's got legal problems and economic problems, but it was something that some of our opponents really wanted. And so, uh, you know, we, as part of the compromise, were able to still pre uh, preserve a number of privately owned um, of, uh, dispensaries or what are now called medical cannabis pharmacies, and so, again, because we still have the private ones, it's, it's better than not having any at all. And, uh, and so, you know, there's some stuff in, in the, in the proposal like that that we have concerns about. But again, it's, it's not like it's unworkable completely. This is something that, uh, you know, can more or less work moving forward and, and, uh, get going. Finally, you've been an activist for this medical marijuana issue here in Utah for years, long before any of us were even talking about Proposition 2. And finally, things are moving forward. What's your takeaway on this whole experience with your activism on, on this issue? Uh, like any big new legal change, this is something that's going to be tweaked and adjusted every legislative session for years to come. You know, this is an entirely new program. Very few people in the state are familiar with growing cannabis these are new businesses, new business models, and so you're you're definitely, I think, going to see far into the future constant adjustment, just like you do with, say, you know, liquor licensing and alcohol or uh, any big government uh, regulatory program. So uh, the conversation, this is really the beginning. Uh, Prop two really uh, placed it into you know uh, each home throughout Utah. This is the hottest political issue of the year. Basically, every family dinner table, this is a subject of discussion. And, uh, but it's, you know, from our perspective, it's the beginning of a discussion. And, uh, it's one that we're going to keep eyeballs on. We're going to be very involved for years to come, making sure that, uh, the government is not, uh, unnecessarily regulating this or unfairly applying it, make sure patients can get legally what they need. So, uh, a lot of people might see this as the end, whether Prop 2, voting on Prop 2 is the end or, or this agreement is the end, but really this is just the beginning and there's going to be a lot more to come. That's Ununinformed's coverage of medical marijuana. I'm aware that some Utah politicians were a little upset that this issue was not won merely by a ballot initiative, but it is a win for activism. Two passionate coalitions with opposing views 
can in fact come together and compromise. It can be done. And U.S. Congress, if you're listening, there's a lot you can learn from Utah. Sure, you can get a lot of things done with political gridlock. Sure. But I think you can get a lot more done without gridlock. And it can be done without sacrificing passion on an issue. In my opinion, this proposition to compromise is a win for democracy, a win for activism, and most importantly, a win for the people who really need medical marijuana. All thanks to this joint effort. (laughs) See what I did there? Thanks for listening. In our next episode, we'll be covering another Utah ballot initiative that's quite controversial across the nation as well, Medicaid expansion. If you're liking Ununinformed, make sure you have subscribed to our show in your podcast app. Our music is provided by D.D. Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Ununinformed. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.